Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Hope Ottawa, what a blessing it is to be back here with you this week. Let's get right to it. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up right now. Our ushers are coming forward. We'd love to put a Bible in your lap so you can follow along. We believe the Word of God is sufficient. We believe it's inerrant. We believe that it is totally sufficient for training in every good work in righteousness that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. Let's get our Bibles open. Psalm 127, and it is on page 298 in those Bibles that are being handed out right now. Well, today is the start of a new three-week series, mini-series, and uh, the only thing mini about this series is the length of it. Trust me. A new three-week series called The Battle for the Home and God's Path for Victory. The Battle for the Home. Choose this day. Choose this day. The Battle for the Home and God's Path for Victory. That is, what is victory in the home in God's eyes? We tend to think, we got to get this right out of the gate, we tend to think victory in the home means a nice smooth sailing life for us. We tend to think victory in the home means that our kids and our family members will end up how we want them to end up. Is that really true victory in the home? Let's look at what God says true victory is in the home. It is this, write this down, victory in the home is God's glory in the home. I'll say it again. Victory in the home is God's glory in the home. That is victory in God's eyes. Make no mistake, loved ones. This is a crucial series in the crucial times in which we live. Why? Because you and I face, right now, you see it, so do I. You and I face an all-out assault each day in the battle for God's glory in the home. No question. If we can't see it, we're just denying it. The state of the family in this country is in absolute crisis mode. Let's just call that out. There's no way to sugarcoat it. That's the reality. The state of the family is in absolute crisis, and it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. And so much could be said about this. Well, you say, how are you going to unpack this in three weeks? <laughs> so much could be said. But this series, the focus, the purpose of this series is to lay a foundation for the path of God's victory in the home. His plan for his glory in the home. And it's going to focus on three main areas. Number one, it's going to help us examine. Examine. Examine what are God's desires for the home. We're going to look at God's word and unpack it. What are God's desires for the home? Secondly, it is to equip and to encourage us. Man, we need some serious encouragement today on this front, don't we? It is to equip and to encourage us. 
Encourage families, encourage singles, encourage the church with the foundation and tools that God has given us to see the family rooted, built up, and strengthened in him no matter what comes against it. There is a sure foundation. Number three, purpose of the series. Examine, equip, and then to engage. See, here's the reality. If you remember from our Acts series, the theme was, y'all listening? The theme was? Witness, Uh uh-huh. So remember, the theme for our Acts series is witness. That is our mandate as followers of Jesus Christ, is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so what that means is we are not called to keep Christ's likeness in the home to ourselves. We're not called to just barricade ourselves off and hide under a rock. We are called to engage. We are called to witness the culture around us with, not with fear. This is not fear time. This is faith time. Say that with me. Not fear time. Faith time. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is victorious. Amen? It's not fear time. It's faith time. To witness with confidence and steadfastness in him. Now you may be sitting here and you may see that. You maybe saw it on our social media channels this week. And you're like, oh, a series on the family. Well, well, I'm single. It doesn't apply to me. That is the farthest thing from the truth. You say, well, I don't have kids. You might not have kids, you might not have a spouse, but I will tell you this before God, you have a role, a God-given role. And we will see throughout this series that it's not just, we'll not just see God's heart and his desire for the biological family, but the crucial role that the church family, the spiritual family, the eternal family of God is to play in this. Two families, biological and spiritual. That by God's design, by God's design, are intricately intertwined with one another. You can't separate it. They are intricately intertwined with one another to see the home victorious for the glory of Jesus Christ. And and why is this series so important? Here's another reason. Did you notice this? turn on the news you see it in the schools you see it in your neighborhoods you see it all over the place there is so much distortion and confusion about what the family is what even constitutes a male and female so much deception so much distortion so much confusion about what God has intended the family to be. Do you know the family was the second institution God created back in Genesis 2? First was marriage, second was the family. And there's so much distortion and confusion about how the family is to function for his glory. And what is the result of this? We, we, we live in this, we see it, We're confronted with it daily and we become discouraged and anxious and fearful. And we can so easily feel helpless, can't we? And hopeless because we see what's going on around us. And we're like, what what can we do against that? Is God really 
victorious over that? Can God's word give us the blueprint to withstand and endure and overcome in his name? Can we? Or with this, we just realize we don't know how to stand on the truth of what God promises to build the family upon and see his glory in it. In fact, one of the latest stats is 85% of Christian couples, they know they're to be the primary disciples of their kids, but they have no idea how to do it. Here's the truth, though. I want to encourage us with this. That's the trajectory for the series. God is the designer, the architect of the home. It is what he says it is. It flourishes when the people in that home, when the church community around it humble themselves before him and depend on him and follow him in his power for his glory. He instituted the family, and he knows how it is to function for his glory. And we, loved ones, here's the reality. Eyes up here. We have to agree on that foundational truth. If we don't agree that God's the architect and the institutor of the family, you're standing on a house of cards. It will crumble. Just look at society. We have to agree on that foundational truth. If not, that family does not endure. There is no victory. There is only devastation. And God, in his mercy and grace, has given us the blueprint through his word and has promised that if we stand upon his word in faith, in his power, and daily seek to obey him by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will bless it and Build that home for his glory, no matter what is going on around us. Why? Why? Simple truth. Ready? Write this down. God will always bless that which he builds. I'll say it again. God will always bless that which he builds. I love how missionary Hudson Taylor said it this way. You'll see it on the screen. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. I'll say it again. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God will bless that which he builds. And God's path for victory, God's path for his glory in the home starts with knowing that God, here it is, ready, ready? God is not looking for our direction for how we think the family should work. I'll say it again. God is not looking for our direction, our input on how we think the family should work. He's not looking for our direction. Here's what he's looking for. Ready? He's looking for our dependence. He's not looking for our direction. He's looking for our dependence upon him. He says, are you going to trust me and my way? And that I wasn't surprised with what's going on in culture right now. That I knew that was coming. Are we going to trust him? And herein lies our problem we face every day. You and I face it and it's unbelief. In that. In him. Here's the big idea for today. 
Let's get after it on the screen. Because only God can build the home that endures. We must depend on him alone to build it. Because only God can build the home that endures. We must depend on him alone to build it. And here in our text today, we're going to see two crucial truths that God promises to bless and build the home that endures for his glory. Everything else in God's word is founded on this. These two things. You ready to go? Let's get after it. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 127. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. And we will read, by his grace, these five verses together. Let's go, everybody, nice and loud. Youth, let's go. Here we go. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. First thing we see is right here. Only God can build the home that endures. And we must by faith and trust its building to him. That's where it starts. We must by faith and trust its building to him. Here's the truth that we are confronted with and the question that comes from verses one and two. God is sovereign and you are not. I'll just say it again. God is sovereign and you and I are not. How freeing is that? Question, will you entrust the home to him? He got a plan, he knows what he's doing, and he will be victorious. Let's get our context so key. Psalm 127 is written, you'll see there, by King Solomon. And it is a wisdom psalm about God's divine providence, his sovereignty over the matters of daily life, and the need for God to be at the center of it all. Go back to verse 1. Very convicting verse. First part of verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. See, Solomon makes it clear that unless the Lord is the one doing the building. By the way, that term, the Hebrew there for the word builds, means this, to construct. Unless the Lord is constructing the house, unless the Lord is growing the house, those who try to build it without putting their faith in him to do it, notice the text, labor in vain. Now you're going to want to write this down. The word vain there in the Hebrew means futile. It is absolutely futile to try to build the house on your own strength and mind. It actually goes on to say it is worthless, vain, worthless. Those who build it labor worthlessly. Wow. That's a shot to our ego. Those who build it, it also means powerless. Those who try to build it, build it in powerlessness. Meaningless. 
Let's get clarity here. You're like, oh, wait, sweet, so I can actually kick back, and I don't have to do anything in my house because God's got to do it all, so I'll just, you know, kick up, suck back some coffee, and we'll be all set. No, let's get some clarity. God is not condemning hard work here, okay? There's no excuse to be lazy with what God has entrusted to us. There's no excuse. Scripture tells us so clearly in both the Old and New Testament that whatever we do, we are to do with all our might and work with excellence and diligence all the time because it is the Lord Christ we are serving. No question. This is not an excuse for laziness. Yet, notice what's the point here. Without working in faith and putting our trust in the Lord to build the home, all our human effort is worthless. It's just worthless. We can't control it. Now, look around today in society, loved ones. We, <laughs> eyes up here, we, we don't like to hear this today, do we? Our egos. We just don't like it. Society's built on this anti-God sentiment from this. You can do it. You're the master of your own destiny. You can get it. Work hard. Achieve. He's like, it's in vain. We don't like to hear that we're completely powerless to build the home on our own. And that all our attempts, if not done in faith in the Lord and entrusting it ultimately to him, are meaningless. And we are so easily and often deceived into thinking, get this, that we must be the ones to build the house. We have to be the ones to do it. And therefore, look what you're doing. Based on Psalm 127.1. If we think we're the ones who have to build the house, you know what we're saying? I must be God. Is that what you really think? Is that what I really think? I must be God because I'm putting myself in his place. Let's take a look at who God is. Let's get some good theology. Ready for some good theology? Get your pens ready. This is a beautiful slide coming up. Good theology at who God is and what he can do and why we must entrust the building of our homes to him in faith. He is the, notice his name that he specifically uses in verse one here, he is the Lord. The Hebrew word there, the most sacred name in all of Hebrew is Yahweh. If you were to spell it out in Hebrew, it would be yud Hey vav Hey. They won't even spell the whole word because it's so sacred. It is the name Yahweh, and here's what it means. Let's make a list. The eternal one. The one who is self-existent, dependent on no one or anything. The one bringing into being. Only God brings things into being. The giver of existence. That is the creator, sustainer. And then here's another one. He who brings to pass. Here's a big one we need to remember. We just sung about the performer of his promises. The absolute and unchangeable one. If I were to, another way you could describe Yahweh, the meaning of Yahweh is the one who absolutely is, fill in the blank, the one who absolutely is love. The one who absolutely is grace. The one who absolutely is wisdom. The one who absolutely is pure. The one who absolutely is holy. The one who absolutely is truth. And so much more. And then there's you and me. How's that comparison going? You'll see the question on the end of the slide there. Who are you putting your faith in? 
You want to put your faith in yourself and God's put, look at Look at who God is. And then there's you and me. See, until we see ourselves rightly and see God rightly, we're not going to depend on him. Because the desire since the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 has been for us to put ourselves in his place. Who would you rather put your faith in? Now here's the follow-up. Who are you putting your faith in to build the home? See, are you entrusting the building of your home, your family, to the sovereignty of God? Or are you putting your faith in, here it is, the sovereign self? The sovereign self to try and do what only God can. And you say, how do I know? Well, there's two areas right here we got to look at and emphasize. Here's a litmus test. Am I putting my faith in the sovereign God or am I trusting in the quote-unquote sovereign self? First thing we see is this. When we're entrusting the home to the Lord, we are entrusting our home for his protection over it. His protection over it. Knowing that God is our only security. God is our only security. Go back to verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The word watches there in the Hebrew means this. It means unless the Lord keeps or preserves, secures or protects the city. See, in Israel context is key. In Israel, the cities were often walled around to guard against enemy attacks, and the watchmen were the ones who would be stationed on the walls to give an alert if that city was under attack. And so the result is, see if this sounds familiar, people would spend so much time and energy and effort and resources trying to secure and fortify their lives and themselves against anything that could threaten them. Does that sound familiar? Mm Mm-hmm. Same today. And yet God says here that all of that effort, all of their resources, all of their time would be completely useless if not done in faith, knowing that their true security, their true protection was ultimately and completely dependent on him alone. Now again, let's get clear on this. God's not against having a lock on your door. Okay? He's not condemning the importance of the watchman to stay awake but he's condemning the dependence on the watchman for their ultimate security. So let me ask you a question, loved ones. Who or what are you trusting in for security today? You know, we might not, you might not have a little watchman on your walls walking around. I don't know, my boys have set up like this neighborhood watch thing, and it's pretty cool. But you might not have that around your house, um, but we set up a whole bunch of watchmen in our lives. Number one, our own efforts. I just have to make sure I do all of this, all of this, all of this. Here's another one. Our finances, our RRSPs. God's not against saving, but are you dependent on it? You know that can be wiped out with the touch of a button of a hacker? <laughs> it's true. Just wait for the next economy crash. You want to have that as your watchman? You think that's going to protect you? You think? Not a chance. Everyone say, not a chance. 
You don't have a chance for objection on that. Here, here, students, students, how about this? Oh, I just have to get the grades. If I just get the grades and I just pour myself out and, and stress out and get anxious, I just get the grades, then I'll get the position I want. And there's my watchman, I'll be secure. Not a chance. What happens if you get in a car accident on the way to school and you can't do what you're going after anymore? Just thinking, if I just get a spouse, then I'll have stability. Really? Just ask any married person in this room. <laughs> Love y'all. Love y'all. It's true, you know it. Right? Possessions. L- listen, loved ones, here's what we need to get. There's only one who truly watches over the home. And we must put our trust ultimately in him. By how? Trusting his protection, praying for his safety, and giving the glory to him for daily preservation. Lord, watch over this home today. It's ultimately in your hands. Sure, lock your door. Don't be like, I'm walking in faith. Leave it open. No, that's just foolishness. Lock the door. But don't ultimately trust in your alarm system. The only way someone's not coming in is if God doesn't allow them to. Here's the second thing we see. First, for his protection, that God is our only true security. But if we're going to entrust the home to the Lord, we must entrust him to him for his provision for it. Protection and provision. Look at, look at verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. It is in vain. There's that word again. He says it three times in five verses. Vain, vain, vain. Futile, worthless, meaningless, powerless, hopeless. Let's get that up here. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he... Okay, underline this. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Hmm. See, verse 2, he moves from security, picture of security, to a picture of agriculture. In verse 2, of a farmer with crops. Agriculture was one of the main industries in Israel at the time. And God says, just as it is vain to try to depend on anything else but God to protect you, it is in vain to try to depend on anyone or anything else to provide for you. He says this. Here's here's, Here's what the Lord is saying right here. Maybe he's saying it to some of us today. He sure was to me recently. He says, you're burning the candle at both ends. You are working endlessly. You are getting up early and going to bed super late and putting everything else of my priorities on hold to get results that leave you, get this, feeling anxious. Anyone feeling anxious these days? Stressed? Worried, fearful, grasping for control. Anyone have that issue when you're tempted to grasp for control over a situation? This is what he's talking about. You're working so hard trying to hem yourself in and control your situation about how you're going to provide for yourself. You're trying to be that watchman over your life. And sure, you may get some bread, but here's the thing. You may get a little bread, but at what cost? At what cost to your life, your health, 
your walk with the Lord, your marriage, your family, your other relations. At what cost? Is that bread really worth it? That term anxious toil, eating the bread of anxious toil, you know what that means? It means eating the bread of sorrows. Just eating the bread of sorrows. I have to put faith in myself and other people to do what only God can to provide for me. Just what's going to happen down the road? What's going to happen if, if I lose my job here? What's going to happen? And you're putting your, you're just eating anxiety. How many of us are just feasting on anxiety right now because you're trying to have the wisdom that only God has? You're trying to provide in ways that only God can. Loved ones, if you're saved in Jesus Christ, you're going to be free from that. Your only true and ultimate provider is God alone. And when we are trusting in him to provide for our needs, as he promises to do, Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, and we know that ultimately it's up to him to meet those needs, we can stop the destructive cycle of working to the point of exhaustion and stress and anxiety and control and trying to play God and after putting in a hard day's work, Yes, work hard. Put in a hard day's work. Come home and rest in him. Did you notice, you notice the text? Go ahead to the text. It says he gives his beloved sleep. You know what it means that he gives it to us? It's a gift. Did you know rest is a gift from the Lord? It's a gift from him. And how many of us here, and I'm tempted with this in my own life, are slapping it away, trying to be our ultimate protector and provider. I love how one commentator, Alan Ross, put it. You'll see it on the screen. This is such a beautiful quote. I'll read it slowly. Sleep here represents resting. Okay, watch this. Resting in the security, confidence, and satisfaction of knowing that one's life is in God's in God's hands. In other words, those who place their complete trust in the Lord, watch this, complete trust in the Lord, and now we know from the New Testament, salvation in Jesus Christ, watch this, they may rest assured that he knows their needs. Just stop for a second. Are you resting assured that Christ knows your needs? He's got it. Go to bed. Take the gift. He's got it. He knows the rent payment's coming. He knows the grocery bill's going up. He knows inflation is going up. Go to bed. And rest in his sovereign care for you. If you are saved through Jesus Christ, you are one of God's children. And he is a good father who only gives good gifts to his children. He knows their needs, and watch this, and will provide for them. And that agonizing and laboring in fear and anxiety will not get, watch this, this is convicting, will not get any more done than what God chooses to give anyway. It's not going to get any more done. 
He gives his beloved sleep. Stop feasting on anxiety. See, <laughs> I was so blessed by this. Trusting in God's sovereignty, loved ones, trusting in God's sovereignty should lead to our sanity. Exactly. <laughs> trusting in God's sovereignty should lead to our sanity. It should lead to peace, to rest. And how much of the anxiety and stress you have right now, that I have right now, is the result of us trying to do what only God can do, trying to be Yahweh? How much of the, and, and on that, as an overflow of that, how much of the collateral damage in our families and our other relationships, the homes filled with debt, consumer debt that is out of control, credit cards are not a second income. Grasping for more, gotta get the watchman, gotta get control. How much of this home's filled with consumer debt and impatience and anger and stress and fear and division and the lack of unity are a result of this? Just feasting on the anxious toil. How about in your home right now? Loved ones, we must allow God to test us. Have the hard conversation. If you're married, have the hard conversation with your spouse. Have it with your children. If you're not, get before the Lord. Say, Lord, how about me? Ask. And you may ask the question, well, how will the needs be met? Those are real needs. I get that. I face them too. I'm with you on this. You might say, well, how will the needs be met? That's up to him. That's why it takes faith to trust that he will uphold his promises to us. If I could sum it up one and two, I would say this. You do your job to be faithful. Be faithful with what God's entrusted to you. But at the end of the day, remember this, loved ones, be free. Only God can build the house, protect the city, and grow the crops. Stop eating the bread of anxious toil. Only God can build the home that endures, and we must by faith entrust its building to him. And last point for today is this. With this, we must steward the entrustments from him. We entrust its building to him, and we must steward faithfully the entrustments from him. And in this specific context of Psalm 127, those entrustments are children. They are children. Our mission is to train God's kids in his truth. Not simply parents, the church, God's people, the community is to train God's kids in his truth. Question, are you doing this? Are you doing this? And you may say this, well, I don't have any kids. Hold on, hold on. Go back. See that? Go, you see where it says on Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house? Look right underneath the, uh, that title. Look at the description. A song of, what does it say? A sense, circle a sense. You know what that means? It means the people of God, the community of God, would sing this song as they went up to Jerusalem for one of the three major pilgrimage festivals each year. First fruits, Passover, Tabernacles. And it shows right here. It's written for the community. 
that the building of the home, the training of the next generation, was a community responsibility for the people of God. Whether they are single, don't have kids, have kids, whatever. We must realize, watch this, watch this. Realize this, loved ones. Almost, almost every single of the major passages on discipling the next generation in God's word are written to the community of God, not simply the parents of those kids. Almost every single major one. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's a biological and eternal spiritual family. And the purpose of our training is to train up children as faithful members of God's people. How do we do this? We see right from the text. Go back to the text. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Two ways. Number one, if we're going to train up God's children faithfully, number one, we must value them. They are a... Hear me, eyes up here. I love that you're taking notes. So good. But I want to see your eyes for a moment because this is absolutely crucial. Ready? Good. Children are a heritage, not a hindrance. Children have been entrusted by God, little one. Precious. They are a heritage, not a hindrance. The word heritage, look at verse 3. Let's go verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. The word heritage there means in Hebrew an inheritance, a portion, an entrustment assigned by God who has sovereignly, notice here's God's sovereignty worked out in the family life now. Before it was for corporate and, and, and um, national, now it's getting personal in the family life assigned by God who has sovereignly chosen to entrust that family with kids as, here's a, here's a big thing, as one of many blessings he can give to the family. One of many he could give. Now, here's what we have to see from that. You may read that, and unfortunately, it has been distorted over time that if I don't have kids, I don't have God's blessing. <clears throat> Wrong. That is completely anti-biblical. Children, loved ones, are not the sign of God's blessing. Children are one of many blessings that God can give in his sovereignty as he chooses. He could give them biologically. He could give them through adoption. He could give them through some other means. He certainly gives us a spiritual family, spiritual children in the church. Oh, yeah. And as such, children are to be valued and cherished and discipled as an entrustment from God to be raised to come to know the truth of God and defend it. Now, if you look around society today, is this the predominant view of children? Is this the predominant view when we think of children in the world today? Nope. Kids today are looked at as burdens, not blessings. They're looked at being disposable, not desirable. And we use them to accessorize, but we don't evangelize. 
So I can get the Instagram pic and I can get lots of likes and I can do this, but yet we're not evangelizing our children. We accessorize them, but we don't evangelize them. Question, how do you see your kids that God's entrusted to you? How do you see them? How do you see kids, if you're single, you don't have any biological kids, okay, how do you see the kids in this church? How do we as the church see them, as a heritage or a hindrance? And if you say, you may say this, well, I totally value them. I totally value them. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do they say that? Would those kids say that about you? Would they know that? By how you treat them? By how you invest in them? Parents, just ask your kids tonight, tomorrow morning at the breakfast table. Do you know that you're valued? By how I treat you and speak to you? See, God's value for them should be seen through he, how we value them. God's value for children should be seen through how we value them. We are his image bearers. They should know that they are loved and they are a heritage of the Lord. Without questioning, are we just grumbling about them? Complaining when we expect to parent kids that don't need parenting. Where did that come from? And I know it gets tiring. We have four boys. I know it's tiring. But they're a blessing and an entrustment to be stewarded. See, our mission is to train God's kids in his truth. We start off by valuing them, a heritage, not a hindrance. And secondly, we see it right here, to teach them. If we are to fulfill our mission to train God's children, we must teach them God's word, not the world's way. God's word, not the world's way. Go back to the text as we finish off, verses four and five. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Now, notice the superscript two after the word gate there. Go down to the bottom of the page of your Bible. The Hebrew can also be translated, they shall, they, the kids, shall not be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Here's what that means. The psalmist compares children to arrows or weapons in the hands of a warrior and says that the man who fills his quiver full of them is blessed. Now, here's the thing. God's not orchestrating. He's not saying there's a special size. If you have this many kids, then you've got the blessing. No, he's not saying that at all. There's no certain number Say, if you have four kids, then I'm pleased. No, it doesn't work like that. He says, the man who fills his quiver with them is blessed because his kids, notice the text, why is he blessed? Because his kids will be able to speak on behalf of or defend themselves or the honor of their father when he is speaking with his enemies at the gate. What's the gate? This is the gate to the city. Remember the cities were walled? This is the entrance to the city where court was held. In the Old Testament, at the gate. And the father, or the children, would not be put to shame because they would know. Here, here, why? Because they would know right from wrong. They would know truth over deception. They would be able to discern what's right and almost right. By being trained in the truth of God 
and could stand up against adversaries that came against them. Um, Kevin, can I get your assistance here for a sec? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, I got my quiver. And this arrow, this bow actually lights up. It's pretty cool. Um, One of my boys, by God's grace, turned 11 last week, and this was one of his gifts. And as I watched him play with it, I noticed something concerning. That this right here, this arrow, represents how the vast majority of children raised in so-called Christian homes are being sent out. And my concerns are this. As I see God's word and I see what's happening across this culture and even in those who call themselves Christian homes, my concerns is that raising children and not prioritizing the teaching them of God's word in the home every day. Not teaching them how to pray and call on the Lord and seek his face not teaching them the value of serving in the church and getting known and loved by the community of the faith. Not teaching them that gathering as the church and not forsaking meeting together is absolutely crucial for their sharpening and for their ability to stand at the gate and defend the truth of God's word. It is crucial. whether it's small groups and they see their mom and dad going out and making that a priority, they're going to make that a priority. Whether it's attending on Saturdays, whether it's attending Hope Youth, I know there's homework. Parents, get your kids to Hope Youth. Trust in the Lord. He's going to grow the crops. And instead... We prioritize sports and hobbies. My kids constantly ask me, Dad, can we be on the traveling team? I said, no. Why? Because you'd miss church. We prioritize games and screen time over discipleship and the word. And I know it's easier, parents, when you're feeling tired to put a screen in front of them. I know it's easier, but it's not worth it. It's not worth it, loved ones. There's a soul on the line. How, we have to ask ourselves this question. J.C. Ryle said, it's great. How will this decision affect their soul? Ask yourselves that every single time. How, in what I'm about to do, how will it affect their soul for eternity? Loved ones. Um, And we prioritize that. And then we load them up. We turn 18. And we load them up. And we launch them. And we say, go get it. And they can't even pierce vinyl.
Loved ones, the devil laughs. The devil laughs at dull arrows. They will not stand toe-to-toe with the enemy in the power of Christ on his word because they don't know it. The devil laughs at dull arrows. And all those other things I talk about, you're like, oh man, you're like anti-movies like movies and anti-sports. Listen, I, I'm not anti-any of that. Those things are good in and of themselves, but out of priority, they're deadly. He laughs at dull arrows. And here's the other thing we need to know about arrows. Dull arrows aren't effective, are they? They don't pierce anything. And what we have to understand, loved ones, is this. If we give the children that have been entrusted to us to the world, eyes up here, don't be surprised when they look like it. You can't just magically think that they're going to just, just turn out by not prioritizing what God says to prioritize. And, and here's the thing we need to understand, loved ones. Um, our mission today is still to train God's children in his truth through his word and give them every opportunity, every opportunity to come into the family of God through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that they too would be able to stand against their adversaries and uphold the truth in honor of their heavenly father. Question, are you and I doing this in our homes? Are we as a church committed to this here? And even though, I get it, I get it, loved ones, even though it seems like a daunting task at times, I want to encourage you with this. You're not sovereign, only God is. Remember, your calling, my calling is not to save our children. It is to sow into our children by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. We're not called to save them. We're not their savior. Our job, mandated by God as a church, as biological families, listen, is to point them to the one who can and will help them overcome in what they will face. Are we doing it? And we're going to hear more on that next week when this is where we're going to drill down. How did we do this? How does God's word tell us? We're going to go into the next text that's going to show us. But here's where we start. Open the word with your children. You say, well, it's too late. I haven't done it for years. Start now. If they're under your roof, it's never too late. And if they're gone from your roof, invite them to come back and get in on it. Start now. Hope kids take home pages. Parents, make sure you're doing them with your kids. We are committed to supporting you as a church. There's tools downstairs right now that you can take and do family discipleship and worship with your kids at home. Go on our website. There's a whole page there devoted to building the house and resources for family worship and prayer and teaching your kids the Bible. All of it. It's all on there. Marriages. All of it. Ask your small group. Ask your small group members. Here's a a big one. Start serving. Seeing them as the entrustment. Start serving. Jump in. Invest in them. Modeling the priorities that God calls his people to have. Be a mentor to some of the kids here. And I I, I had a special burden for, for those of us here who 
have sought to keep the Lord first and you've poured into your children for years and yet it seems like the children have walked away. I just want to encourage you watching online because I know some of you are watching online right now. And I want to encourage you with this, with two things. Number one, God will waste nothing and if they're not dead, he's not done. God will waste nothing of your investment by his power into their lives. If they're not dead, he's not done. His word is not bound. Secondly, I want to encourage you with this. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. God will work for his greatest glory in whatever way he sees fit. Leave that to him. See, and I want you to be encouraged as we close out. There was one son, one son, who perfectly spoke on behalf of his father. One son, and stood up to every one of his adversaries. The son of God himself, Jesus Christ, who perfectly trusted in God's sovereignty, even as it led him to his death on the cross for our sin. And he rose again three days later, and for all who've repented of their sin and trusted in him alone as their savior, he has promised, Jesus has promised, be encouraged, loved ones, Jesus has promised to give us all that we need to see the house built on a firm foundation with him as the cornerstone. He cannot be stopped. He cannot be stopped. And he will soon, as Romans 16 says, he will soon crush Satan under his feet. Amen? And through him, through him, loved ones, through salvation in Christ, you no longer have to eat the bread of sorrows. You eat the bread of life. You eat the bread of life. And it nourishes and satisfies and strengthens and equips us for this mission. And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus as your personal Savior, I will say this. There is not victory in your future without him. There's only defeat. That's it. But you can come today and repent and say, Jesus, I am a sinner and you are the Savior. I confess you as my Lord. There is no hope without you. Why? Big idea. See it on the screen last time. Because only God can build a home that endures. And we must depend on him alone to do it. And trusting its building to him and stewarding the entrustments from him. The question we're left with is this, loved ones, as the worship team comes up. Will we depend on him? Will we look to him and submit to him and trust in him? Knowing that he is and will be victorious always. And we have an empty tomb. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Word of God, and that is enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, thank you for your precious Word that you haven't left us to ourselves. Lord, I pray for this precious church and these people that I just love so much, and I pray over them right now that you would be welling up faith in our hearts. Lord, knowing that only you can build the house, and I pray for refreshed humility, submission, and dependency to you on this, and trusting its building to you, and stewarding the entrustments from you, specifically with children. Lord, I pray this church 
would display your heart for children. Laying our lives down to see them discipled. And if that means we jump in on a service team, get after it. If that means we take up a child to mentor and train in the ways of the Lord, so be it. If that means we just take time to get on our knees and just talk with them and get to know them, to show them that they're loved and valued by you, then so be it. Whatever it is, Lord. I pray for the families in this room right now that, God, they would be encouraged right now to open your word with their children, knowing that sports won't save them. You will. Only you have the power to save And may they press on even when we see no visible result before us, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And we don't know the outcome for our children, but we know the one who's over them. And that you will do what you see fit to do for your glory. Help us to trust you, knowing that you will come through always. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in this song and testament of confidence in the Lord?